Good evening. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest. Today is amazingly the 17th of November. The year is 2021. Now, I'm going to continue my discussion of T lymphocytes and the aging process. We are one lecture away. That is right. One lecture away from being finished. Still haven't decided if I'm going to make it a video or an audio, but you will find out soon enough. So this lecture will be the one before, or the penultimate lecture of this very, very long series on aging in the human. So let's get into this because there's a lot more detail um, that I know you're going to want to hear. Now, as I left you last time, I told you that a major feature of the aging process which is resultant on the human immune system is a process called inflammaging. Now I talked about immune aging and immunosenescence last lecture. Immune aging is a combination of immunosenescence and inflammaging. I think I've, if I haven't said that before, I've said it now. So it's the overall condition the immune aging phenomena that leads to high level of morbidity, uh, obviously a result of multiple types of diseases or disorders that um, can arise as one ages naturally. And that can itself result in an alteration of the expression of inflammatory and anti-inflammatory innate and acquired immune cell responses, as well as changes in the morphology and the division and the expression of genes within host cells. So the combination of the host cells, not the immune cells, such as epithelia, endothelia, parenchyma, can result in a status of immunosenescence because those cells would be naturally signaling to innate or acquired immune cells because of an infection or damage or maybe perhaps even a tumorigenic event that aging process can result in a lack of recognition of the requirement for the immune system to attend to the alteration in the cellular phenotype, now becoming a pathophysiological phenotype. So inflammaging is a different story. It's a chronic, low-grade, self-activating, pro-inflammatory illness. Inflammaging may be another innate pathophenotype of the senescent associated secretory phenotype. But this is no longer considered a viable description, in my opinion, because we have autoreactive T cells. And that would suggest just by itself that the Inflammaging is more akin to an autoimmune disorder because there is specificity here. Importantly, though, 
re-emphasizing immunosenescence and inflammation are not contradictory. And really, when we think through it, they're not contrarian either. Normally, when you think about senescence, you think about lack of function or loss of function with aging, right? And of course, if you have an inflammatory response, that's not a loss of that function. But when you get an immunosenescent system, let's say it's a host endothelial cell, they would normally be signaling because of, let's say, viral um, replication within that cell that the innate immune response should be triggered for, via toll-like receptors or perhaps circulating basophils or neutrophils. Because that cell is becoming senescent, that is immunosenescent, the signaling may not occur temporally or spatially coordinated. Because of that, they miss the mark for inducing a rapid innate immune response, generating, of course, cellular death of the infected or damaged cell. You see how that works. It is clear that inflammation is a presentation of aging, and it's often observed uh, in a very common medical, clinical, and environmental setting, and that is elders with type 2 diabetes in association with obesity. Not all the time, but very often, obesity-linked type 2 diabetes, T2D. Now, associated with that are all of these inflammatory responses that do comprise inflammation, plus more. And what are they? Hepatitis, pancreatitis, neurodegenerative diseases, and indeed, atherosclerosis. Now, since T-cell thymic central tolerance involves a negative selection, remember this, bulk of the autoreactive T-cells are depleted via apoptosis, plus there is a generation within the thymus of CD4 positive, single positive, that is CD45P, they're called, FOXP3 positive. What are they? Those are regulatory T-cells. And they are naive regulatory T-cells and they're produced within the thymus to suppress T-cell-mediated self-reactivity, therefore preserving immune homeostasis ultimately when those T-reg cells move to the periphery. Now, these arms of central T-cell tolerance work in tandem, and T-regulatory cells most likely compensate for any imperfections in the negative selection process. So that means that some self-reactive T-cells will escape. The aging-associated involuted thymus central tolerance therefore becomes deficient. And at the same time, T-cells are circulating through the periphery that may not recognize those inappropriately released T-effector cells. Thus, we obtain both arms of inflammation with aging as the temporal sequence. Now, there's an intersection of immunosenescence and inflammation. And I've told you this now a couple of times, but I'm going to repeat it. This intersection of these two events is linked to thymic involution. So you have an aged, involuted thymus, 
And it's, again, going to have an ineffective or inappropriately monitored central tolerance because of loss of negative selection. Plus, you're going to get a diminished thymopoiesis. So the ineffective central tolerance itself includes this impaired negative selection, which leads to increased output of a self-reactive T effector cell lineage that, of course, will attack any number of self cells, cells associated with tissues and cells associated with organs. Now, the second arm, again, is an imbalanced generation of the T-regs. Remember, those are the thymic T-regs. And because of that, a diminished TCR repertoire, T-cell receptor repertoire. Of course, that's going to fail in sufficiently suppressing self-reactive T-cell mediated, indeed, frank now, autoimmune responses. Now, autoimmune responses, when we see them, they will lead to tissue damage and they will cause or they will be associated with depending on how you look at it, chronic inflammation, which of course is a major contributor of inflammation. Now, as mentioned, the reduced thymopoiesis will give you a diminished output of naive T cells that would otherwise clear senescent somatic cells because those need to be cleared, right? Because after the vision stops. And the expansion of an oligoclonal T-cell lineage in the aged periphery is going to lack that clearance capacity. That, of course, will allow for an increase in the senescent somatic cells, and they become an important the source, in fact, of the SASP, the senescent associated secretary phenotype. And, of course, that is going to embark upon either a a running dialogue of modifications of cell-cell contact interactions signaling appropriate program cell death or inappropriate massive cell division breaking through the cell cycle barriers. All of that in its self will lead to multiple morbidities, but you can see that all this is contributing to the immunoaging phenotype via this immunosenescence and this inflammation. So that kind of, I think, summarizes where the, the two main immune system errors form an axis. Now, remember, within those errors are multiple potential opportunities for DNA damage, DNA damage repair misinformation, and therefore the production of multiple mutations. Some of those mutations could lead to immediate arrest of cell division and cell death, But that cell death may not be apoptotic. It may be necrotic or it could be ferritotic. And in those two latter cases, 
you're going to get an enhanced immune response when those cells start to lyse. And at the same time, if you have an impaired innate immune response because of lack of appropriate signaling, you may not have the appropriate macrophage um, subpopulation, for example, that will clean up any of those cells that have been uh, necrotic or ferritonic, thus further emboldening and enhancing a, an increasingly high level of inflammatory response leading to more tissue damage, now with tissue that, that is otherwise healthy. So aging is marked by a progressive decline in the function of multiple cells and tissues and organs. So in organisms with a renewable cellular process, aging is also marked by an increase in hyperplasia, which leads, of course, to the potential for tumorigenesis. So a question in terms of evolutionary hypothesis, which I talked about months ago, which I'm now reminding you of, is if aging results in this morbidity and sickness unto death, why would aging occur at all? Why wouldn't aging be diverted to some other continuation of the living system? What is the advantage, selective advantage, if you want to think Darwinian, of having death of individuals within these heterotrophic vertebrate mammalian lineages? And in fact, those are the ones we're talking about. In fact, the top of that, the human. But remember that death, organismal death, is absolutely common. In fact, all living systems die. All living systems die. And they have a temporal clock. Now, I've argued way back in the 1990s, which is quite a while ago, when I was doing lectures in biochemistry, that if you consider certain kinds of microorganisms, that if they're carrying out cell divisions and those cell divisions lead to new cells and new cell clusters and new, perhaps, colonies of cells aggregating, and then more cell divisions and more daughter colonies of cells aggregating, forming, and moving, either with self-motility or otherwise, by abiotic means. Couldn't you argue that those cells, say a bacterial cell, is essentially immortal because it keeps on dividing. And as long as one cell from the original cell lineage keeps on dividing because of the high frequency of division um, in the correct uh, nutrient and temperature environment, um, wouldn't that mean that those cells, as long as you could find some genomic makeup of a cell years later, and you can do this, of course, in laboratory settings, just with you know, taking cells out of the freezer and growing them up. Some of them are going to have mutations in them. Some of them are not, but then purifying against those mutations and then maintaining those cell lines over and over and over again, or maybe in stab cultures, not even in frozen stocks that they used to do it. I used to keep stab cultures myself. Great for transporting when you don't have to have uh, refrigeration or ice. 
Well, I kind of then argued against myself on this because microorganisms and that kind of homotypic cellular division, which could nevertheless maintain some aspect of genome, isn't indeed maintained because of conjugation mechanisms in bacteria so that there's a movement of genetic material from one cell to another happening with a reasonably high frequency. We know this from classical bacterial genetics. Plus, think about the passing back and forth of, of replicons, of DNA or RNA replicons, either in the form of phage, um, bacterial viruses, or in the form of plasmids, which can move in and out of bacteria, and the plasmids can carry genetic information, thus rendering those new cell lines actually different from the original. So just to think about cell division going on and on and on, saying that those cells became immortal, um, would almost be like saying that chordate vertebrate mammals would be the same, because as long as there's some constant <laughs> reproduction going on, could you say that that original um, sire or dam of that population is immortal? If you can trace back, for example, your own inheritance to, you know, let's say, um, English aristocracy, or even, I don't know, go way back. Let's say there's some way of determining that there was a genetic association with you and some uh, Egyptian pharaoh, where maybe some DNA has been. Uh, maintained sufficiently what you could do for genotyping. Well, nobody would say that. Nobody would say that you are the pharaoh that died in 2400 BC. Likewise, I don't think you can say any cell lineage is that. So I think that aging does occur in all living systems. Everything basically dies. Now, there's a lot of different kind of uh, syntax around evolutionary theory. Remember that that theory holds that aging is a consequence of the declining forces of natural selection with age. So when you have a declining force of natural selection with age, what happens is that extrinsic hazards, those that, those that are not uh, coming from internal to the system, such as accidents or predation, of course, infection, and starvation with all of us heterotrophs, that you're going to limitation of you're going to get gain limitation of lifespan in those species, and what that does is deplete the natural population of older individuals sense restrictive. Now that means there are generally very 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 few old survivors, none of which are any more um, reproductively competent. But natural selection may not be acting to remove them directly, but any of the alleles or genes which were occurring throughout the life cycle that would have been selected for had they enhanced, let's say, the reproductive phase of the organism or the longevity of the organism after the reproductive phase has passed, well, any of those selection pressures would no longer function. 
because you would be eliminating over time because of natural senescence, those alleles or those genes which may have indeed late acting positive effects. And what's left behind, because there'd be no selection pressure against it, because selection pressure itself has senesced, is you wouldn't get a removal of late acting deleterious gene expression. So overall, it's especially true for genes that might confer at first early life benefits, but later on would not. Such as say the overproduction of reactive oxygen species certainly cause hyperinflammation and a much quicker route to high level morbidity mortality in the elderly person than in a 20 year old. So it's been argued that natural selection can't eliminate genes that promote early life survival except by senescence. But then in a, in a contrarian way, that same process promotes late life debilitation. And that's known as, it's a theory, and we've mentioned it before, it's called antagonistic pleiotropy, genetic pleiotropy. So aging is the highest risk factor for the majority of chronic diseases. We know this. So there's a growing number of people currently that are living longer than they did, let's say, a century ago. But even living longer, we obtain impaired health and with that increased morbidity or sickness and illness. So there has been in the medical industry an increased aim to improve health along with longevity. And it's called things like increasing the quality of life or maintaining the quality of life in the aging population. Now, the neuroimmune system that I've been talking about for a year is impacted by age-associated alterations that result in pathophysiological responses directly into the main systems, such as the endocrine, nervous system, the digestive, the cardiovascular, musculoskeletal, major systems in the body, the the adipose. So you have both innate and adaptive immune mechanisms which become dysregulated with aging directly. And you also get a pronounced leukocyte-mediated pro-inflammatory response, as we have also been saying for months and months. So this inflammation describes a chronic condition of elevated pro-inflammatory mediators, including, of course, some of the major cytokines, interleukin-1-6, tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-1-beta are three that come to mind. And of course, they're cogent receptors. So immunosenescence marks the increased susceptibility to infection and indeed a more frequent, sometimes considered contrarian, reactivation of latent viruses. And we see this in herpes. People are out there getting herpes vaccinations in their 80s, right? Remarkable. Now, keep in mind, though, there is a decay in vaccine efficacy in the elderly. And there is an increase in chronic autoimmune activation. And this is because of T-memory cells 
responding to self-antigens or to errant antigens that otherwise would go untracted and unrecognized in a non-senescent T-memory population. So you get autoimmunity and you get possibility for cancer along with neurodegeneration. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like the morbidities or sickness unto death, right? Of course it does. Along with that, of course, the cardiovascular disease, which I mentioned earlier. So I want to remind everybody that there are some aging phenotypes out there. Most prominent one is degeneration. Degeneration gives rise to a well-recognized pathology. So, for example, sarcopenia, atherosclerosis, heart failure, osteoporosis, macular degeneration, pulmonary insufficiency, neurodegeneration itself, including prominent neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and even things like renal failure. Those are all associated with degeneration. So degeneration in one or more tissues is an extremely common and prominent age-related phenotype, yielding finally a sickness unto death. In fact, the innate immune system changes during aging. We've talked about this. So think about monocytes, which typically are only about 5 to 10% of the total circulating leukocyte population. Now, those monocytes can be classified into three different subtypes. Classical monocytes will express a surface marker CD14++ but they can be negative for CD16 surface marker, cluster differentiation protein, of course. Then you have non-classical monocytes, which express CD14+, and CD16++. So you get intermediate CD14 double plus, CD16 single plus monocytes as one of the potential phenotypes for that innate immune cell lineage. So during aging, the number of these non-classical CD14 positive, single positive, CD16 single positive monocytes actually increases. That implicates a shift to a senescent pro-inflammatory phenotype. And indeed, it's associated directly with short telomeres because of lack of telomerase activity. Now, macrophages are classified, of course, as we've mentioned multiple times over the last year, into the M1, M2 subclasses. During aging, a shift into the M1 phenotype has been documented. Both processes have been suggested as contributing to inflammation due to an increased basal cytokine production. So increasing M1, M2 ratio imbalance, of course, could be recognized as key important driver of age-related morbidity. And in particular, one that's been associated with this has been the um, immunoaging associated um, with well, atherosclerosis in general, but I want to say specifically the morbidity with atherosclerotic plaques and then foam cell formation because of the imbalance of the M1, M2 phenotype. 
Now, along with that, macrophage monocyte lineage alteration, you're also going to get an alteration in neutrophil subset specificity and gene expression. And that's going to be picked up next time. So I hope the um, somewhat, um, you know, easy listening modified lecture I did today will get you to see the larger concepts as long as the per as well as the percepts, you know, the specific entities and event entities of what occurs with aging. But I want you to get the concepts as well. And I think now we have firmly described immunosenescence and inflammation as being the two pillars of the um, immune aging phenotype. Okay. So inflammation and immunosenescence, the two pillars. All right. So I'm going to stop there. And I will pick up probably tomorrow afternoon with uh, part two of this final lecture. This is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Studios saying, of course, have a good evening and uh, bye for now.